Welcome to Turn a Page, the official comic book club for Nerd Initiative. Each week, the NI Bullpen will be covering the world of comics, talking to creators, deep diving into some fantastic stories, and much more. Now let's hand it over to the team and turn a page. What is going on, everyone? It is Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you are tuned into Nerd Initiative YouTube with the rest of the 20,000 subscribers as we just hit today. Woo! And we are ready to Disgusting. talk some comics with the Nerd Initiative Comics Bullpen. My name is Ken M. You know me as the host of the ODPH podcast, and I'm also Nerd Initiative's comics editor-in-chief. To my left, your right. I'm Batman. Oh, no. Coming at you live and direct, straight from a folding chair in the ODPH studio. My name is Off the Cuff Tom, your pop culture connoisseur, Ken M. Nerd Initiative. Thank you. It is always a pleasure. And always joining us in the studio via Skype, via Zoom, via Restream, however he gets here, he is bringing you pop culture knowledge with a and like nobody else does. Please welcome to the show the one and only Matt from Hops Geeks News. Matt, what's going on? What up? Coming straight at you from my green looking prison room? I don't know. It's a work in progress. Got some water. Let's go tonight, man. Let's uh, Let's break some backs, if you will. Yes, indeed, because tonight is a very special edition of Turn a Page, the Nerdship Comic Book Club, where we deep dive into a story that stands out to us that we think you definitely need to know about, having your collection. And this one is actually picked by you, the Nerd Initiative audience, because a couple weeks back we ran a poll for Batman Day, which I hope everybody was celebrating the greatest and latest in the Dark Knight. And we put it out there on Nerd Initiative Instagram, what story do you want to see us cover on Turn a Page? And this was one of the most highly contested votes we've had thus far since I've been a part of Nerd Initiative. It was a huge poll. It was close, man. It was. It was. A lot of great suggestions. But for this time around, we are checking out the winner of that poll, the 1993 epic Batman Nightfall. I broke you. Yeah. <laughs> This kicked off a whole different era of Batman stories. So I'm going to throw it to Matt first. Matt, when this first came across your pull list, your comic collection, your pop culture radar, what was your reaction when you first heard about this story? Man, I actually, this is one of the early Batman stories that I remember checking out because, of course, there's the iconic sequence of Bane just holding a broken Batman over his knee, essentially, as uh, you used to see back in the old wrestling days. And uh, that was one of the reasons why I pulled it. I was like, I got to read this. What happens? Does he actually break his back? And lo and behold, he does. But it's so much deeper than that. My initial thoughts were not one to expect basically Bane waging psychological warfare on Batman. Uh, who was his Bane character? He just looks like a big muscular meathead, but there was a lot more to him. And uh, I first read it right, obviously, when um, they announced that they were going to be going to go the Bane route with Christopher Nolan's films, and uh, got me really hyped up for that. And uh, of course, it's a really it, it's a long storyline. A lot happens in mm -hmm. the storyline, but I promise you, if you've never read it and you stick through it, it's a very, very iconic and uh, really good storyline, without a doubt. Absolutely. Tom, now I know this is kind of new to you, but what was your first reactions about hearing this story? Okay, the story is new. I will give you that. But I can recall 1993, a young Tom sitting in his dining room 
hearing about this on the news. Like, this was right, you know, in the cusp of Death of Superman. So when this kind of comic book stuff hit, interestingly enough, standard media was picking up on it. Mm-hmm. Like, Action News in Philadelphia was, you know, Gary Papa and was, was reporting this. That they broke Batman. So there I am going, oh, uh, uh, the, okay, wait, wait, they just killed Superman. So now we've got the broken Batman. Now, I didn't grow up in a comic book culture, so I knew this was important. If it was on my news and my dad went, whoa, that's important to us. So I very clearly remember this and, and had the shock and all then. And now here I am X amount of years later, really diving into the book and not really having the knowledge like I, where I thought the book was from my 10-year-old self to my year-old <laughs> self. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually more appreciative of it now probably than I would have been then. For me, it was an interesting time about hearing this when it first was announced, because like you touched upon, this was also during the same window span of the death of Superman going on. And for somebody that grew up reading comics and you're seeing not one, but two iconic characters that we have all grown up with that have transcended pop culture to go and have their death-like experience with Batman in this case, that he's broken. Somebody actually broke the bat. It was really monumental to see play out and where they were going to go. Like, how were they going to explain this? And there was so many moving parts going on in this time period too. Remember Marvel was in its Renaissance with the X-Men line. Image comics was just being born. This was a big time in comics. And for DC really unload this emotional moment on us, the readers. It was interesting to see how it was playing out, especially because right before we did have the limited series that introduced Azrael Jean-Paul Valley, Bane was teased in a Legends of the Dark Knight series a little bit. So there was elements that were at play here that when they kicked this off in Batman 492, We knew something was going on, and this is kind of where all parts were coming together. So, chat, one thing I want you guys to do is throw in your reactions to when you heard this was first announced with Nightfall. I know Brad is in there from All All Dice Go to Jail. He was mentioning, you know, he's shocked at mainstream news. So definitely throw your your opinions in there, too, especially if you do the Super Chats. I'm always told we got to mention that more. Throw them in there as well. And right now, we are going to go into spoiler talk about this because I don't think there's any way we can do a non-spoiler about this entire story because of just the epic length of it and just really kind of how it set a whole new level for Batman and storytelling for The Dark Knight in the late 90s that really carried through to the mid-2000s, in my opinion. I think really, I mean, for for lack of better words, this really was a turn-a-page moment in comic book storytelling as a whole if you really think about it this one of those moments like okay we can write comics to this level Mm -hmm. we have people that want to read it to this level let's keep going absolutely so that being said matt when we kick off this story something has happened at arkham that has never been done before and that is a massive breakout so your reaction when you're first seeing this all unfold well your first reaction is like oh exciting we're gonna get not only a new kind of teased villain but you're also gonna get all of his rogue gallery you know potentially and 
they, they, they break them out and you're like, all right, cool. We're going to start with roping them all back in. All right. Then how is this really going to play? It's just Bane's going to be toying with them the whole time. It gets so much deeper than that. It's more of like something that everybody always kind of dogs on like, Oh, Batman's rogue. Jay has a lot, but some of them can be silly. But what they do really well in this story is yes, you have the breakout, but then you just kind of see the mental and physical wear and tear that each villain plays a role in doing to Batman, whether it's Scarecrow's fear toxin or Two-Face kind of breaks him down in different ways. And it, it was very smart, I think, for me. It's the first time that in my kind of memory and remembrance of Batman that we're going to look at Batman's villains as more than just kind of like these jokey characters, like, oh, this guy has a burned face. Oh, this guy, you know, is a Riddler and kind of things like that. It's, no, they these are pretty badass villains, you know, and you get to finally see that on display. Mm -hmm. Tom? I think as much as Matt's push, putting on the A-tier villains, I love the fact that we got a lot of the B-leaguers, uh, the Amygdala, the Ventriloquist, yeah. um, Victor Zaz, which to me, Zaz, I think, has gotten more popular in time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for a frame of reference, I was not familiar with Zaz back then. So I would say that one too. Um, you know, Film Freak. Yeah. Who that? Like, like seriously, he's below Condom and King in my book. My Condom and King is like yeah, I was B gonna say, plus tier. Yeah, but, that's you know, a, I, he's a B I, plus. I relish every moment I can get with him. See what he did there. Uh, <sighs> you know, I, I, I'm not trying to spread it too thin. Uh, but the fact that we got all these other great ancillary characters worked into the story really helped build it. Um, so when we did get your Scarecrow, your Joker, your Poison Ivy, your Mad Hatter, your Riddler, like they had some shoulders to stand on. They weren't just like Matt said, campy or, you know, um, Commodore Schmidlap level, you know, dorkiness like uh, Batman 66. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with you. I think how they set this up was very brilliant because like you touched upon, we had the whole range of Batman's rogues. I mean, and that's arguably the greatest rogues gallery in all of comics. Like it's a, it's a logistic debate. And to see how they tied in the lesser tier, like the ventriloquist to kick things off and how they kind of progressed even further. It was more like a video game in some aspects, or even if you want to talk like in pro wrestling terms, how you build up the card to go to the main event level. Oh yeah. And to see how it, it plays out, like you had a breakout character like Zaz who at the time Nobody really kind of knew about, but he had that little two-issue run right in the beginning where he stands out. Mm -hmm. And there's something about him from where he's carving in his own victims, on keeping count on his own body. It's so disturbing, but to see Batman, who's already starting to feel the effects of being worn down, because Bane, which he never gets enough credit in the comics for this, is very, very smart and very calculating. Methodical. Yeah, yeah. of how he approaches it. And especially when he's like unleashing everything, he goes, I want to wear the bat down. I want to break him mentally and physically because what he wants to do is establish that he is the true king of Gotham, that he is now saying, I'm going to be better than you and like just what will unfold for me and my legacy. And so when he starts out, I mean, Batman thinks he can handle this because that's what Batman does. It's not in the era of Batman gets enough prep time, he can go conquer Marvel. This is a situation that, and thinks that he can beat everybody mm -hmm. because that's how he's more or less evolved since the 70s, the 80s, to even right there at the beginning of the 90s. It's just how his character has progressed to see him really take on this challenge. And when you see Robin, Tim Drake, mind you, 
is kind of like telling him like we might want to get some help. We might want to you know steer him back a little bit. But Batman is is more ego driven. Is that fair to say, Matt? Oh that yeah, he doesn't want to have any help. No, it, it, well he doesn't. Right? You can see how throughout this entire story, he's hiding Robin away from what actually happened. And to a degree, he wouldn't, you know, after the whole thing goes down, he doesn't even let Dick take up the mantle because he's too afraid to whatever it may be. He kind of, he, he's somebody who's not afraid to all, it's, it's kind of funny, right? Hypocritical, if you will, of Batman, who's, he's not afraid mm-hmm. to throw a child into combat with him. But when it comes yeah. down to it, he's not going to let that child combat by themselves. So it's, he's protective of his family in like this weird kind of way. And it's really on display in full range here. And I, you know, of course you see that the death of Jason Todd weighs on him heavily in the story as well, which might influence some things. And it's just very interesting. The dynamic he really has with Robin and Nightwing and all of his characters in this, in this book. Yeah. Tom, uh, he hit the, the, the nail right on the head. I mean, there's so much stuff going on prior to this where, Bruce's mind is he is I mean it's literally it's it's the one bad day scenario yeah I mean that's something they've always driven home with him too especially throwing in the dynamic of John Paul Valley which I know really at the time wasn't on the Jason Todd level of you know anger but it was interesting to see him play such a prominent role in this because he's somebody that literally just came in at at the back end and then you sit there and kind of say like, okay, Batman's training him to be his apprentice, more or less. But yet he has this whole history of Robins that are his more or less, you know, sons. But yet he's going outside to really train somebody else to take over the mantle. Because at the end of the day, I mean, we've seen this as recent as the most Bat- uh, Batman and Catwoman Gotham War. Batman has this weird sense of family and justice. And how he decides to keep them separated. It's a very fascinating dynamic because he, like you touched upon, Matt, he's very hypocritical in his stance because he wants to do something like this where, okay, I'm going to keep my family away. I'm going to be the one to step up. But yet he's so driven blindly to a degree about his ver- version of justice that he refuses anybody's help when he needs it the most. Okay, hold on. Now, do you think if Barb and Barb wasn't in the wheelchair, because we, we know we already know we're at that point, mm-hmm. and Jason didn't die, we could have gotten a Robin in the role of taking up the, the, the cowl that he would have, that he would be somewhere else that he wouldn't think about outsourcing? No. I don't think so. I, I don't think... think... No, go, oh, ahead. go, Matt. No, go ahead. No, I don't think I don't think he ever would because I think that he is just that stubborn in his ways. Mm-hmm. Like he would never be able to walk away. See, I don't think I think that if he didn't have the guilt of the other two weighing on his shoulders, he would have been okay with Dick coming in and putting on the cow or giving it to Jay to giving it to Tim or someone. But that's I, no, no. I mean, I, it's a great debate. Oh, go, Matt. I would, if I could throw my two cents in real quick, I think Batman Absolutely. is perfectionist to a fault, right? He's he's always, even with all those characters not having gotten hurt or whatever, there's still something that would have held him back because he would have been around them so much that he would have found reasons why they couldn't have taken up the mantle and thus okay. still would have led him to find the perfect successor, if you will, and uh, 
or just you know his version of gotham or whatever it may be because that's just who he is to a fault in my opinion no i i fully agree with you i mean he's he's just to think about what he's done to perfect himself i mean he in a weird sense he's the epitome of human perfection because of what he's done training his mind and his mm-hmm. body and it's it's a it's a weird fascinating tale his year one year one of just what he put himself through to go handle his war on crime in his way like there's so many ways you can deep dive and break it down and chat i mean throw your picks in here too i mean if the situation was different do you think batman would have turned over the cowl like throw that in the chat or super chat yeah is it's it's just such an interesting play here but it really comes to be a hotbed topic during this entire storyline because as he's going forward and he's stopping the criminals that are just having a mounting body count in Gotham. Amok, 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 amok. Yeah, like this is his worst nightmare come to life that everybody that he's tried so hard to keep off the streets is now running free and having their way with everybody in Gotham. And it's something that he can't handle the, the fact that he's lost control. That even when he starts progressing forward and he, he takes out Zaz, he takes out the ventriloquist, he then comes in to play with the Joker a little bit, even though the Joker winds up having a unique partner in this mix, and that's the Scarecrow. Which, I mean, Matt, when you're seeing these two get together, what's the first thing going through your mind? Uh, first and foremost, Scarecrow has personally always been my favorite Batman villain just because there's something about preying on the fears of people. And then yeah. it just it just makes sense, right? You have one guy who, like the clown prince of crime, Joker, the the extremes he's willing to go to, and now you mix that in with like legitimate somebody who knows the the human psych and wants to just rip you apart from the inside out. It's a it's perfect, and it's, it's a team up we don't get enough in comic books, to, you know, or mm-hmm. in video games or movies. And it was one that I was really excited for to see in the movies that we never gotten. So hopefully one day we do, but. Yeah, I, I was pumped, obviously, because, again, like these are probably, in my opinion, two of the more feared villains of Batman. Yeah. I mean, Tom, what's your reaction to seeing these two team up? It's one scary joke. <laughs> Indeed it is. I mean, it, it really is, because, you know, just like Matt said, building on that, you're, you're taking the guy who can literally scare you to death and the guy who can make you laugh to death and you put them together. That's a lot of two deaths. That's mm-hmm. like that's like four deaths you know just it, it, it well, really is think you got to think about it batman can beat anybody up right like mm-hmm. they know they can't beat batman with physical tools so doing it mentally that's scarier to me exactly yeah it's crazy to see play out but it's true though that he sits there and he has all these rogues but when they team up it, it's like he's never had a sinister six moment quite like this because everybody is more or less against him at once. And he doesn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And it's a situation as the story progresses forward, you're seeing just more and more of a breakdown. Meanwhile, Bane is working in, in the shadows, making more of a footprint in Gotham, taking out crime Lords and really becoming for lack of a better term, the kingpin of Gotham. I yeah. mean, that's the way I took it. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I mean, we we even see that you know like in under the red hood eventually, you know it's a really good way to just bring everybody together underneath one banner and I don't know if technically 
this is just my opinion. I, I don't know if all of his, if the Batman rogues were under his heel per se, mm-hmm. but I would definitely say that they had a vile amount of respect for Bane yeah. and didn't want to cross him. I mean, you obviously saw what happened to Croc, and I mean, Croc's one of my favorite guys, mm-hmm. one of my favorite rogues, just for the fact that, you know, okay, well, oh, I don't like this, I'm going to fight you again, <laughs> you know, and he got his arms busted up again, like. Yeah, how wild is that to see? Killer Croc, who we've always known as a powerhouse. Right. To face Batman, and yet Bane just runs through him and breaks both of his arms. I yeah. mean, Matt, describe your reaction to that panel. I mean, how can you not kind of be like, oh, this Bane guy is for real, right? He's to, to beat somebody who's so physically dominant like Killer Croc with ease, and uh, you're kind of like, all right, that's this is a problem. This is the first time you really feel like Bane's a problem. Like, yeah, okay, Bane's too busy. Like, is he afraid to fight Batman himself? Like, what's his play here? And at this point, you're like, no, Bane has something more at play. And uh, you could tell things are, from that moment on, you're like, it's about to get serious. Yeah. Like, it's absolutely wild to see this all just unfold. But yet, to see Croc get taken out again, and even he buys Batman some time. Like I say, it's just such a weird bedfellow mm-hmm. that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And you see that play out here, too, especially with Croc. And to see that... It's just absolutely crazy to see how you have just such a shift in dynamic. And it's something that still stands out to me when you're seeing this because Batman, who's been keeping everybody at such a far distance, is now having to rely on one of his enemies to bail him out. Like, it's weird, but it works because of just what Bane is doing. Because Bane, Bane is not here to make friends. Nope. Bane is here to make money (laughs) and power. And that's what he's craving, especially driven crazy by the venom that Batman knows all too well is addicting. And that's why he would not go near it. But Bane has fully embraced it and really pushed himself in, in like, for lack of a better term, into like a very perverse Batman in his own right. And it's almost like, you know, facing the upgraded version of yourself. You're seeing this go forward. It really hits home because like, Bane winds up getting distracted with Croc, so he doesn't have to get involved. And that allows Batman some time to get away, and it definitely does help. And that even kind of ties back into what Joker and Scarecrow are doing with Mayor Kroll. Because at this time, they've now gone after their own political power, so to speak. Yep. And they've kidnapped him. So Batman, in his weakened state, because one thing, too, is the timeline here. This is not exactly in 24 hours. No. This is over the stretch of months Mm -hmm. to really put that emphasis on that usually Batman's cases last maybe a week, give take. I mean, he's the greatest detective. But in this situation, he's getting physically worn down, running 24-7, trying to put everybody back in an Arkham. And it just plays in such a big factor that when you get to this moment where he has to go against Joker and Scarecrow, finally... They wind up giving him such a dose of fear gas, it brings back one of his worst memories, and that's Jason Todd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you're seeing this play out, I mean, Matt, what's going through your mind? It's 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 without a doubt Batman's greatest failures. You know, Jason mm-hmm. Todd. It's one that it will it haunts him. It predict it. It's shaped who he kind of has become and why he's such even more of a control freak than he was before. And so that I'm glad they brought this back into the story because it's 
definitely in a, in this kind of scenario where you can clearly see that Batman's running ragged and now even mentally he's being worn down. Now's the chance to really bring this part in and you can see him just kind of unravel from this point on. And it's, it's a great addition to the story. It, it just works in the context that they're using it here. Absolutely. Tom, what he said. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he, again, uh, it's just, it's so much. So, I mean, I could give you at least 75 reasons you know, that it's perfect to have Jason Todd, the replay right there. Um, but simply, again, you're running ragged. You are so thin. Like, you're you're almost cellophane at that point. Like, mm-hmm. let, let's tear right through. Let's break you. I mean, we find out that, and this is what really got me with this whole series, is that the whole idea of breaking the bat was not the physicality. Mm-hmm. It was everything else that happened that at the end – literally was the straw that broke the the bat's back. Yeah, because when you take it into context, and I think the Joker and Scarecrow, that was my favorite pairing, and that was my favorite, like, test of all the rogues together. I mean, I don't know about everybody else, but that worked for me the best. And to see that that was the final straw that really broke the bat, because to take away Batman's will, I mean, that's his greatest superpower is just he is more determined than anybody on the planet to accomplish his goal. When you can put a crack in that armor and you can do some damage there, Mm -hmm. that really makes the point of Bane's attack because he's like, if I can take out his mind and his will, I have him. He's just a man. But when he's at 100%, he's never in that situation. So like I say... That, that had to be my favorite rogue fight that he had to go down. Maybe Zaz was the number two. Before we get into the main event of it, I mean, what was your favorite rogue? Starting with Tom. He punched Ivy in the – he kicked Ivy in the <laughs> yeah. That was okay. true. But, uh, but that's saying to the point that, you know, normal on-point Batman would punch. He would knock him out. I would never, ever consider him to – Punch Ivy in the face, punch or kick Ivy in the face, kick a lady in the face to begin with. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, that was a lot. That that again, it just goes to show how mentally, physically he was there. Mostly, mentally he was on some shitty autopilot. Yeah, Matt, how about you? I mean, I I biasly it's the scarecrow sequence because to me maybe it says a lot about me to where anything that's like psychological terror or kind of like really captures me and you know mm-hmm. it's it's that point where you you batman has all the tools in the world he knows all the martial arts in the world but to see and he still kicked like, poison ivy in the face in the face exactly <laughs> but it's like you can you, it's maybe it's one of those things you can relate to is like do you know when you just have one of those days where just like you could you can drop the milk carton and it explodes and it just evolves and you just completely melt down into just an utter mess it's like you can relate to that, and that's kind of what you see with Batman here. It's like he just unravels, becomes unhinged, and uh, it's his downfall. And that, that to me, is fascinating because you've never seen that side of Batman before at this point. No, I, I fully agree with you. I mean, that was what really did it for me. I thought the Zaz part was very interesting because you usually see Batman a little more precise and calm in the moment, but he was really kind of feeling the effects of the initial onslaught of Bane. And meanwhile, Bane is just sitting there biding his time, waiting until that moment where Batman returns to the Batcave, and lo and behold, Bane is there waiting for him. Because he figured out who yeah. 
Yes. He, he finally, he figured out the mystery and he's like, I know who you are and I must break you. And this is what this has all been about. I have to be better than you. And it's such an ego trip to, to a degree, but this is something that Bane has always felt like he's, he's almost had that Lex Luthor type vibe where he knows he's better than you and he knows it. And you see this all really transpire and play out because Batman is in no condition to fight. He's isolated from his family because Alfred's not there. And you have Robin training Azrael, but Azrael is not there as well. And it's literally one-on-one, but Batman is in no condition to fight, but yet he still does. And you just see the moment Squash where... Match. Yeah, this is literally just... You know, any kind of Brock Lesnar match, so to speak. Oh, God. Yeah, it's Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg at, you know, um, Crown Jewel a few years ago. (laughs) Yeah, literally. It's just Bane running through Batman and even to the point where he breaks his back in panel. It's such a crazy scene to do. But once you see that, as a reader, I know I sat there and I was like, oh, my God. Like, Somebody actually did this to Batman. Yeah, it's Batman. And Batman doesn't lose. It's, he doesn't lose. Yeah. Batman does not lose. But he did. Yeah, not 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 like this. No, I mean, when you're seeing the iconic, you know, moment where he gets broke. I mean, what what is the initial reaction for you, Tom? Shit. Fair enough. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Shit. I mean, there's very few things that you can do otherwise for that. It's just one of the the plays that you have that when you just see his back broke and you just see him snap and just Bane is just sitting there now relishing that he's done this. And then even the fallout after too, where the panel was just on screen, where you see Bane is holding him over Gotham, like as a symbol. And he's like, I am Bane, the city is mine. Yeah. Like... How twisted and demented is this, Matt? It's, uh, damn. That's all, that, what else can you say other than, like, dang. Bane, he is yeah. for real. He is here. And uh, he's just holding Batman over the city that he has spent years in his body and sacrificed everything to defend and make a better place. And in an instant, it is pretty, you know, of months, but over this this very short period of time everything is undone he has lost the city is not batman's and there's nothing you could do about it in this scenario and as a reader you're just left there speechless because again batman does not lose and at this moment you're like what happens now yeah what do you do oh i love the fact bane just pitched him off this off the roof yeah okay like and you, there's just as much as Batman's there on the ground, you look at everybody else that's around, and that's where it gives you the idea of where Gotham's mental capacity is at that point too. Because Gotham's only as good and or bad as Batman's, you know, curtailing it. Mm. You know, Gotham's always going to be Gotham. Gotham's always going to be dark and gothic, and there's going to be shit going. But you look around in that panel, you see someone that's scared. You see someone that is joyous. They're manically joyous in the fact that Batman's busted. Um, Plus the fact that, you know, it gave me one of those, oh, because comics moments. The ambulance comes pulling up. I would have loved to seen somebody go out and say, don't take his cowl off 
Instead, it was, oh, guess who's in the ambulance? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, cheap right. (laughs) But, you know, but it makes sense because for what Batman represents to Gotham, he is their hope for being the worst city in the world to live in. Mm -hmm. He is the one person that is trying to make it better. Why? Because he's crazy. Because he's Batman. But, I mean, let's face it. Because he is sitting there fighting a losing battle every day, but he has this hope that it's going to get better. It's a Sisyphean task. Yeah. And yet, when Bane holds him over the the citizens of Gotham, he's saying hope dies. It's died tonight. Welcome to the new era. And he's literally just kind of challenging anybody to step up and fight him. And especially... Seeing that visual, you're seeing every citizen in Gotham freak out. Mm -hmm. And then when Batman is taken away, it's a moment that you sit there and you finally see something we, we haven't really seen in the comics with him. And that's true fear. Yep. Because usually you'll see him kind of get thrown off his game a little bit. But you literally see that moment where it's now sunk in, he's lost, and he's not going to recover. It's that moment where, like it said in the chat, evil dies tonight. I was thinking as soon as you said hope dies tonight, I was like, no, it doesn't. That's evil. I was waiting to save that line to come back because I had something lined up later, but we'll just burn the joke now. But it, it was a situation here where you see this moment, and then Batman just has that doubt around him. And he has to decide what to do with the cowl. And this, I mean, this is a controversial moment, to be honest with you. I'm sorry, but I thought when, for me, reading it, it wasn't the fear after the fact. It was the fear when he was behind the, the clock in Wayne Manor and he put two and two together. That was the fear moment. That was the number one fear moment that I had from Bruce. Oh, yeah. No, it carries through. Yeah. But, I mean, just to know that, like, it's now sunk in. Like, the fear moment is with a clock. I do agree with you. And, Matt, I mean, on where do you think the fear moment is? Well, no, it, it's definitely that moment of realization. Uh, I fully agree with you both on that that instance because that's the real first moment, again, that you're just like, oh, crap. And yeah, it goes from there, and now it's, again, it's Batman. This is, this is like their Empire Strikes Back moment for Batman almost. Yeah. So all the while, though, he did have the backup plan because he's had Tim Drake work with Jean-Paul Valley, And when he decides to pass the cowl to Valley, I know this struck a lot of fans very, very awkwardly. I know I sat there and was like, what? I'll say it. I'll drop it. Here we go. Who the fuck is that? I mean... Well, <laughs> oh, go, Matt. I'm sorry. No, I was saying exactly. Like, how are you going to have... Tim, your one of your Robins, train up the Batman replacement while you got again Nightwing, who's been there from like almost day one, and then even to a degree you have Tim Drake, who's been loyal to you. Now some Joe Schmo off the street's gonna come, and he's gonna be Batman now. Like, dude, what the heck? Yeah, it it was like I know they set it up early too with the sort of Azrael series. 
that they were teasing something big was happening with him. But I know Rich, our producer tonight, can definitely put in the chat. This is like the equivalent of of bringing in somebody brand new that's not ready for the spotlight, and you pair them with one of the greatest factions of all time, or they're the next successor to win a title that they're completely not ready for. And I mean, Chad, if you have any comparisons with that, please throw them in there, do the super chat, do the whole thing with that. But it's a situation like, who would that be in comparison with? And especially Batman going back to his twisted logic that he saw the fear gas reminded him of Jason Todd and how he's failed as a mentor. So he didn't want to give it to Dick. And then he wanted, he didn't want uh, Tim to have anything to do with it. So he's literally been training somebody that more or less he thinks that John Paul Valley is expendable. I'm not saying he's wrong, <laughs> but he this kind of dies. Is. It's all right. Fine. You know, we'll, we'll put the backup in real quick. And if he dies, all right, then you guys give me my third and fourth options. All right, geez. Yeah. yeah. Bring, bring up the guy from C and D league and, then, you know, save B for when we actually need it. Mm-hmm. And it's a situation too, where you have Valley whose story is very quick that he's literally been trained to be an assassin by a secret organization, the order of St. Dumas to fill out their will. And yet Batman's been trying to deep brainwash him, but he still has that switch that he can go on and take over the cowl. And there is that scene that I know Rich threw up in the uh, chat here. It's when you see him first go to action with Tim Drake fighting and you see that first fist go flying. And just the impact he does because it's where Batman in sometimes is held back a little bit. You see Valley suit just unloading and there really isn't that hesitation. Like, he's like, if he dies, he dies. He's going complete Drago from Rocky Four, And this is really setting a pace that Tim Drake, who's always been the most level-headed Robin, is kind of going, wait, time out, time out. Like, you can't go around killing people. And Valley is going, well, if it happens, it sends a message. It, do- it does that. And it's a weird situation that you're having him really kind of come into this world that he's completely not ready for. And that's a great analogy in the chat too by Brad. You know, it's like what Marvel did with John Walker taking over for Steve Rogers. You have somebody that's completely not ready for the role and the the responsibility Mm -hmm. of the position they're put in. And yet you're literally throwing in an unknown to do something you couldn't do. And then to watch it unfold, like Bruce is away trying to, heal himself and meanwhile valley is diving more and more into the equation of he needs more and he needs to do better and he needs to find ways to enhance himself and you see him start going to where he develops gauntlets for himself poor harold yeah which harold who has always made batman's batarangs and weaponry is now getting forced to make him more dangerous weapons that you're seeing exposed. Nope. Actually, Harold didn't make it. He kept hiding at at the Batcave, and Jean-Paul was making it himself. Oh, that's right. That's right. Now, uh, he didn't want to be known that he was doing this stuff, so he busted up the the cameras, and Ace, my boy, said, no, 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 bad. Yeah. So, but Harold was like, no, 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 I'm, I am, nope, nope. Not my, not my Batman, not my problem. Yeah, because as you see here, (laughs) I mean, this is where you see the first gauntlets come in. And that's the moment that you see, like, okay, something's changed with Batman. He's an ubermensch. Think about it. He's driven. He thinks he's the the prime example of what it needs to be, and he has no remorse to do it. Yeah. And he really, that's why I say, it's the devil you know. Like, it's perfectly titled for this issue. Mm -hmm. 
because as you see, he's now gone more deeper into he needs to upgrade himself. And it keeps progressing, much to the, the fear of Tim Drake, who's going, I don't know if I'm going to be able to control this guy. And poor Tim th through this whole story. I mean, that dude just went through some crap. I mean, just standing by on the outside looking in, like, I don't know how the heck this did not have, like, you really could have written a, a sequel or a parallel series just on Tim himself, mm -hmm. if you really think about it, just yeah. of where he was psychologically. Yeah, I mean, Matt, what's your reaction to Tim Drake's role in this entire story? It kind of just like, eh, he's just like there in this like, his, he's he's that angel on the shoulder the whole time. It's like, no, 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 don't do this, angel, no. Angel, yes, because that's just yeah. pretty much how it turns out. He's like, I hear you, but uh, I'm going to ignore you this whole time, which kind of sucks to, to see him put in that role um, because he's, again, he's, Robin at the time. And so to see Robin just kind of cast aside and ignored it, it sucks because Robin never really gets a fair shake. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, it, he's, he's in a very weird position too, because when he even came in to replace Jason Todd, he took the role of Robin and went in a different direction, which I think Batman Bruce Wayne had always respected that he kind of carved his own path. And even becomes a greater detective than he ever could be, mm -hmm. which is uh, something that I wish they dived into more into the comics. Like I, they, I think that's something that is touched upon a little bit, but they never fully go into yeah. like a Tim Drake detective story. But in this situation, he's supposed to be the voice of reason to Jean-Paul Valley, but Valley is so determined in his own twisted sense to be better than Bruce because he's given this opportunity that he really starts taking some liberties and really starts becoming a vi more violent vigilante, which to think about, I mean, Batman has never been known to be a nice guy. He's just been a good guy. And to see Valley turn it up to 10, I mean, in these kind of situations, going into the final fight and knowing that he has to do this, Matt, I'll start with you. Do you think it's justified about his actions? It's hard, right? Because we're talking about John's, actions yeah okay just make sure yes so it's it's tough right because on one hand the whole city just watched batman get mopped and discarded to the side so he almost at first you're almost like yeah he needs to bring some brutality back to like let the people of gotham know that like hey batman still got you kind of deal on the other hand batman has lines he doesn't cross and that's what makes him respectable to a degree and so He's crossing all of those lines, and that's not what Batman is at his core. Batman is brutal, but Batman is, like you said, mm -hmm. a good guy. Batman has rules he plays by, and so he's breaking what it means to be Batman and bringing it almost disgrace, too, because then it's like, okay, Batman's back, but like we're also under the rule of another tyrant because that's not my Batman right there. What is this? Mm -hmm. That's not what Gotham stands for. Yeah. Tom? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the truth. I mean, I understand that as, you know, Jean-Paul, he has this guiding sense of justice, and that's great, but so does Bruce. But they're on two very completely different levels. And it's, one does not balance out the other. It doesn't, it doesn't wash in the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, because that's just a lot of blood. Uh, it's so hyper violent 
what you know comparing the one to the other i mean batman will knock you out batman might get a few teeth out of you but jean paul is literally going to break at least three bones in your skull in one punch and that ain't cool that's not batman yeah again not my batman not my problem no but i think it's something that kind of reflected the times though too because you have to think during the 90s era of comics things were going more towards the wayne castles than they were of the Steve Rogers. Yes, a lot of pouches. Yep, and pouches were always in there too. But in this situation, that's kind of where I think the writing might have kind of felt more influenced, that this was the rise of the antiheroes. I mean, if you really want to break it down, and to see how you take an iconic character like Batman, make it a completely new character, and have him run with that idea, it's a very slippery slope to walk. Because you have the legacy to live up to, but if you're trying to carve your own path, it's tough. And I think that when you're seeing this happen, you have to kind of put it in perspective of the ends are going to justify the means, but can he bring himself back from the edge? That's the true argument here. Because he has to go to a place where Bruce couldn't go to beat Bane in this circumstance. And that's what leads to the ultimate showdown in Batman 500, where you finally have Jean-Paul Valley upgrade his suit so much that it looks nothing like Batman. He's unrecognizable. Yeah. It's like that person who was too obsessed with plastic surgery, right? They do one little thing. Oh, I'm just going to get this thing fixed. And by the end, they're completely can't even tell who they are anymore. Their face is melting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's, it's that kind of situation that you see this. And when they finally have the showdown, Bane is sitting there. He has no idea who Valley is. And he's saying, I already broke you once. I'll do it again. And this is where you have Jean-Paul Valley go, evil dies tonight, and decides to go take him out. And one of the craziest fights all through Gotham City. Like, this ranges everywhere. He goes batshit crazy on him. He does. He legitimately does. I mean, when you're watching this fight play up, is this living up to the hype that you're setting, Tom? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, seeing where this guy, as he's progressing to the, you know, to that point, knowing that this is what it's going to take to take out a guy who's that crazy, it does wash. It does level out. And it's what you needed. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it didn't need to be the bat. Yeah. Matt, how about you? How's the fight I mean, going for you? Yeah, 100%, right? It's two crazy people. Meanwhile, it's almost like that video game where like you know you got to go fight this this boss, so you just do all the side missions first to amass as much as you possibly can to then go beat the boss on easy. That's almost what it's like um, while having a respectable fight at the same time because they actually they rip it apart, and it's just, again, two psychopaths going toe-to-toe. And in a way, you respect it. And you're also just like, yeah, I want to see them both die today. Like, this is awesome. And it's like playing Final Fantasy VII all the way up to level 99 <laughs> and still getting your ass whipped by Sephiroth. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it's true, though. I mean, that's it, that's probably the perfect analogy for it because you have to see Bat Asriel go completely overboard in the violence and not even caring about the, the citizens of Gotham around him. And all the while, you're seeing Tim Drake have, like, a mini meltdown because he's fearing that what Batman symbolizes to Gotham, he's going to cross a line being Valley and kill somebody. 
Yeah. And that's something that obviously Batman has had strong feelings about uh, for many, many years of crossing that line. So then when you finally see Bane lose it and he's starting to you know lose his grasp there, the venom gets cut as they're fighting because Valley's already thought about this. Mm-hmm. And then you start seeing him get weakened. You just see Batman unload on him. And to the point where you have this moment where Azrael could go in for the kill shot and you're seeing Bane is like asking for it because he can't handle the fact that he's lost. And then you just see Jean-Paul Valley go, no, you're, I'm just going to leave you broken and know that I did this to you. Like just what a moment there. Meanwhile, you see all of Gotham's allies of Batman, Commissioner Gordon, Harvey Bullock, uh, Lieutenant Kitsch, all kind of standing there watching and waiting for him to do something. And you're just seeing that even with the mayor fully backing him too, which was such a crazy play, that there's still some semblance of hope that the Batman teachings of Bruce Wayne will are starting to seep through with Jean-Paul Valley before ushering in the end of Bane and a new era for Gotham. So that being said, what did you really what's your biggest takeaway from this book? Your your favorite thing you loved about the story, starting with Matt? Oh man. Uh to be honest, I think it was the final fight. It was the a culmination, right? Of because this is like a this it's a basically a two-part story at this point. And mm-hmm. this is the culmination to part one where we see Batman fail. We see the descent into his mental well-being. And then you see on the flip side of that, like everything that Batman almost hates is coming up to this guy that he thought was the perfect successor. But in the end, it's like, now wait, it gives you hope at large because maybe Batman's getting through to even some of his, you know, nemesis out there. If this guy, it just lost his mind, went mental. It was in the brink of killing somebody in a Batman suit. And he steps back and says, no, it's like, man, maybe Batman does wear off to a degree. Maybe, maybe Batman's really onto something because even the craziest of people keep that in their minds. Fair points. Tom? My biggest takeaway is just the just don't overexert yourself. I mean, don't stretch yourself too thin. That's what I got out of it. Because I mean, whether it's Batman and Bane or you and your own personal demons, just don't do it. Don't stretch yourself too thin. That's what I got out of it. I mean, yes, yeah, seeing Batman yeah. get broken and everything. That's what I got out of it. For me, it was ego's the worst drug known to man. Because you think it's about true. this. And he's the worst dad. Yeah. You you see how ego ruined Bruce Wayne because he refused to get help when he needed help against a, a challenge he, he thought he could handle and he couldn't. You see that Bane's ego, as smart and as cunning as he was, could not handle the fact of a new challenger. He just thought he could completely dominate. And yet he winds up getting publicly embarrassed and broken himself in front of the people that he wanted to be made a king to. And even Jean-Paul Valley, to a degree that his ego pushed him so far past the brink that he wasn't anybody that was recognizable to anyone, to much so to the point that after this story ends at issue 500... The Jean-Paul Valley era of Batman is something that is a very polarizing subject with fans because that's really not how Bruce Wayne has done business over the years. 
And it gets to a point that when Bruce eventually heals, he has to take the mantle back by force from Jean-Paul Valley. And it's a very cool story how that plays out. But it all goes back to the ego-driven point of, you know, how much can one person take and really shows the readers about what it takes to break and then rebuild. Because this is where we kind of see how everybody hits their rock bottoms and then later on how they build themselves back up. Is there anything that you did not like about the story, starting with Tom? I already mentioned the whole fact that the random ambulance that was already loaded up with Alfred and, <laughs> and, and Robin just like, oh, hey, look, they're there. Oh, loophole. Um, that was my only one odd thing about it. That was about it. Matt, how about you? Yeah, if I'm nitpicking, it's that. I guess at a larger thing, it's why, can, you know, just how bad of a mentor Batman really kind of is at the end of the day. But other than that, I don't really have anything that made me be like, oh, I really didn't like this. I didn't really like that. Because for the most part, it's a really amazing story. Like, they really nailed it from every single kind of beat other than like, oh, I have to find something to nitpick at. Yeah. Chad, definitely throw your guesses in there. Super chat it up, too. I mean, what is your you know pros and cons of this story? For me, the only thing I really didn't like was how they kicking poison ivy in the face well that too but it but i understood the reasons being is just he was so unhinged at that point it was like he was just doing whatever it took to to get through another day the one area though i really really did not like was the passing of the mantle to valley and the fact that we did get dick grayson to appear for maybe one page to catch up with tim and how he just kind of went like well he didn't choose me Okay. And walk away. Yeah, that's fair. That I thought was but like, of at all the people. same time, you know, Dick would have done it out of. Oh, absolutely. They touch upon this later when, um, after Final Crisis, if I'm not mistaken, where we have this amazing Batman and Robin series with Dick as uh, Batman and Damian yep. Wayne as Robin. And they touched upon why. And then, like I say, when Dick's run as Batman is is taking place, it's a it's a big win. Like everybody should check that series out. We mm-hmm. should we might talk about that on here at, at a later point. But I just think for like what it meant at this moment too, that you had the Bat family as as it was at the time. Because remember, this there was no real Bat family as there is today. Dick Grayson, I thought, should have had a bigger role in this story, just because of the history. But I understand why they didn't, but it was something that as we got into that transition period, because after you see Batman's back broke, okay, where are we going from here? That's where I thought we should have had maybe Nightwing have a standoff with Jean-Paul Valley and say, like, no, you have to earn the right. You have to beat me or do something in that vein. Like, I think if they did something like that, that would have gone over a little more. My back cow has piqued its interest. Yeah. Like I say, if they did something like that, that's the only part of the story that I was like, okay, I, I think they fumbled the ball here a little bit. But they could also have done that later and say, like, Nightfall. I mean, not Nightfall, but the other continuing stories. Because, I mean, this whole thing with that, you know, Asbats goes over three different parts between mm-hmm. Nightfall yeah. and then what's the next Night, two? Night Quest. Night and... Quest and so on. They definitely could have shoehorned that in there. I don't think that it would have been as it's a great idea. Do not get me wrong. Oh, no, I get you. But I don't think that, like, right here we needed to have the the setup 
the knockdown, the finale, to add in another fight between two do-gooders or quote do-gooders mm-hmm. might have taken away from it. I think if we put it in somewhere else, it might have had a bit bit more impact. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a great debate too at the time, but it's just kind of like how the story progresses, like with Batman going outside the his normal train of thought to go get a successor for it. I just thought that that just came off very awkward to me. Mm-hmm. But I understand why as the stories has progressed throughout the years, and then eventually all roads point back to Bruce getting the mantle back and having that talk with Dick and explaining why. So, I mean, it kind of recons itself. But I think just in that moment, that's the only thing I would take away from it. But that said, we have to give our final grades on the story. So we will start with Matt. Matt, what is your final grade on Batman Nightfall? I'm going to go solid 8.5 out of 10. It accomplished what it set out to do. There's some really cool things. We got to see the Batman rogues, you know, anywhere from the A tier villains to like the B and C tier villains. It gave us a lot to go over in a little, like a long time at that. But like we said, there were some things that still they kind of missed, like, you know, the, the Dick Grayson thing. Yeah, that's a very good point. I didn't really think about the fact that he wasn't really in it at all. And that's kind of weird. Like Batman just went through this crazy thing that happened and he was just nowhere to be found to defend his honor. And it is what it is. So for me, that's the only thing keeping it from being like a truly, truly great story. So 8.5 out of 10, man. All right, Tom? Uh, I would agree. Uh, 8.5 to 8 to 9. So, yeah, 8.75 bad rings I'm going to give on this one. <laughs> Simply for the fact that, you know, there's it, – it does have a few little tiny bullshitty nitpick thingies. Um, but, yeah, that Azrael dude just, like, totally takes away one whole point right there. Yeah. You know, just because just how much of a – yeah, who he is. Batman Nightfall is, for its time, one of the most inventive stories you're going to read involving the Dark Knight. Yes. And to see how the writing and art really exemplified why Bane was such a dangerous threat and systematically taking out Bruce Wayne at his core, which has been his will to defend justice in his own mind. Yes. To see how that gets all torn apart systematically with taking a trip through his greatest rogues made for some very entertaining stories. Like I said, everything ranging from the kidnapping of Mayor Kroll to Victor Zaz getting his moment in the sun to a few other key moments that honestly did never, it never felt like filler when you're reading how this story was progressing. And especially for being 19 parts. Yeah. I mean, that's where it really kind of hits in that nothing ever really felt like a filler issue. And I fully applaud that. It's just when we get to the end and after the bat is broken, where do we go from here? Because at that time, there's only a couple issues before we get to the finale. And that's where it's really an interesting dynamic that they kind of not sped to the end, but how we just show the quick breakdown of Jean-Paul Valley, who at the time is a relative unknown that we have only seen in a limited series that we don't have that much investment in to go, oh, he's the chosen one to save Gotham. But it does make up for one of the craziest fights you're ever going to read in a comic in Batman 500. So with that said, I'm going to have to agree with Matt. I give this an 8.5 Batarangs out of 10. It's one of the best Batman stories you're ever going to read 
the it's still ripple effects to this day of how Batman more or less works with others and how this moment really gives birth to the idea that he needs allies and we get the modern day bat family out of this and to see how this all progresses is he was broken down at his lowest point to see him build himself back up and have a new vision of Gotham is a very, very interesting tale to be told for a character that's been around for 80 years. Mm -hmm. So definitely one. If you haven't checked this out, go hit up your comic shops, check it out, go hit up DC infinite, you know, take a deep dive on it. Like I say, it's a long read, but you're never going to get bored of it. You're going to see the systematic breakdown of the bat and the rise of a new character and a new stat quo that ultimately comes back full circle with a bigger and better bat. Before we get out of here this week, we do have some new comic book day picks because it's going to be Wednesday and you know what that means. It's new comic book day at your local comic shop. So Matt, what do you suggest to pick up this week? Well, nothing too crazy, except for, of course, Cap Wolf and the Howling Commandos issue number two. Man, the team is uh, back. And uh, if you're a big fan of the you know, werewolf kind of horror vibe, you can see Captain America as a werewolf. This is a story that's really setting up to be something cool. You get to see like the Howling Commandos and just a lot of fun, man. Uh, that's all I can say about this this story. So make sure you're picking it up. Stephanie Phillips, one of the the best writers out there right mm -hmm. now. I can tell you without Absolutely. a doubt, she she just gets this character, man. And uh, the entire the entire creative team working on this comic in particular knocks it out of the park. So go to your local comic book shop, pick that one up, but also pick up all the other good comics that are out there for some really good creators, such as the ones that these fine gentlemen are about to tell you about. Absolutely. Tom? I would say that because we're talking about Batman, and I'm going to do my worst Bane as possible, but more like the Harley Quinn kind, it would definitely be the dawn of DC. Batman and Robin number three comes out tomorrow. Look at this gorgeous artwork. Yes. This That's all I got. I mean, seriously, you can check out the fantastic uh, review that we're going to have up on Nerd Initiative tomorrow. It is such a great run that, that they're doing here with Donna DC. Everything is just new. It's it's a nice refresh, and, and it's it's it really draws you in. Yeah, this series, I mean, written by Joshua Williamson. and Don't we know him somewhere? Oh, we, we do know Joshua very, very well. Uh, but just very quickly, though, with everything to touch upon what you said about Donna DC – Everything they've been doing with this has re-energized me as a fan of the the, the heroes and what you know, what made me fall in love with superhero comics, and especially the Batman and Robin run right now. It is absolutely amazing, and if you haven't checked it out and you really want to see a very very cool story, definitely make sure you pick this up. Also, The Outsiders number one is out this week too. So you want to see that hive mind taking their stab at, at the legendary DC team. Enough said there. For me, though, um, a lot of great picks. Like I said, these gentlemen had some. I have one from, well, actually, I got to remember. I almost forgot. We touched upon Joshua Williamson. You definitely want to make sure you hit that like and subscribe for Nerd Initiative YouTube because Friday morning, there's a little special interview that we're going to be dropping that is going to be uh, having uh, a lot of buzz behind it. 
So, uh, you know, we kind of gave you a little clues, but you definitely want to make sure you hit that like and subscribe for Friday morning so you don't miss it when it drops 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We can't talk about it or else I have to come and break you. This is true. I, I have to remember. I, I have to kind of just allude it like that. But going back to the comic picks, one that is standing out to me is an imprint that we have been talking about here on the ODPH. We've been talking about on Nerd Initiative a lot, and that is Ghost Machine. And hitting comic shops is Geiger Ground Zero number one. This is by Jeff Johns, Gary Frank. This is a very, very cool story. <laughs> and just everything they're doing with Ghost Machine, if you're not familiar, you're going to be getting very, very familiar very, very soon. They have a monster 2024 lined up. And we have a lot to talk about on Nerd Initiative concerning that series, uh, especially involving Turn a Page. So you definitely want to make sure you hit that like and subscribe and get familiar with what Ghost Machine is doing. If you haven't checked it out, go to your local comic shops. Go see if they have some copies of Geiger lying around. You definitely want to dive into that and definitely make sure you pick up Geiger Ground Zero number one hitting the comic shops tomorrow morning. This is going to be something special. Trust me, folks. What the entire team is doing at Ghost Machine is going to be the talk of 2024. Mark my words. And if you want to find out even more great comic picks, you hit that QR code 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time Wednesday. It kicks off with Geiger Ground Zero, ironically, uh, which we have some reviews dropping all day from various publishers that we cannot wait to talk about with you on social media. So that's why we say hit the like, hit the subscribe, contact Nerd Initiative, and make sure that you check your browser every hour on the hour on New Comic Book Day. While you're hitting the comic shops, make sure you go up and say, hey, do you have this issue in stock? You need this. I need this. We got to talk about it. So that being said, before we get out of here, Matt, why don't you let everybody know how to find you and everything going on with Hops Geeks News. 100% go to Hops Geek News, any podcasting, any social media platform. Lauren and I are out there. And uh, now that the strike is over, we're going to be reviewing the Marvels and Loki Season 2 this coming week. We did it for three years anyways. Uh, currently out right now, though, if you did see the movie and you're very curious as to about, you know, Monica Rambo's powers, we did drop a deep dive into, you know, Photon, a.k.a. Monica Rambo, and uh, give a little back ground on her comic book character check that out but that's where we're at each and every week mondays our new episodes wednesdays right here under initiative are both lauren and myself and shout out to lauren because yes don't okay. don't don't take my word don't take ken's word go to go look at dark horse all i gotta say is go check out the dark horse socials you will see that lauren is absolutely killing it with her reviews and her words should speak loudly enough for herself just go check them out if they're just read them. She's the best. Yeah, Lauren is absolutely killing it right now. So if you haven't checked uh, her reviews out, seriously, go check her out. Check the rest of the team out. A lot of great stuff is happening in the Nerd Initiative bullpen. So definitely make sure you check out those reviews. Tom? I'm oh. right there. Yep. Well, no. Now I'm right there. there. All right. <laughs> Guy in the chair. All right. You guys can check me out all online. Check out all my reviews. Check out my interviews. Check out all the stuff, all the dice. All the, all the, all the things all around the internet uh, and, and just my lazy, funny, like, how can people not play these TikTok stupid games that I do when I'm bored at work on overnights on TikTok because I'm like, I can figure this out in six seconds. 
because that's things. Other than that, uh, besides the QR code right up there, don't forget with all the comic books coming out tomorrow, boom, right up here. You also got your local com- comic shop locator. Make sure to support all your local shops because, you know, we love you, Justin. Absolutely. Make sure you go shout out to your LCS wherever you're at. Hit us up and let us know where you're picking up your comics from because there's a lot of great stuff to pick up. And if you want to find more recommendations, hit that QR code on the screen right now to find out what I'm doing, Padawan J and the rest of the ODPH team at odphpodcast.com and all our social media links. Because we have a lot of stuff that we're breaking over the next couple of weeks, especially the Cheersies nominations yes. are going to be getting announced on Black Friday. So the Nerd Initiative Bullpen and I and a few others are hammering out who is going to be making the nominations this week. So the ballots will be dropping on Black Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time. So going to give that away a little right now, but I got to get with the rest of the bullpen. We're going to hammer this out. And then the award show will be taking place first week of January on Turn a Page. Super excited to bring the cheersies over to Nerd Initiative this year. So a lot of good things happening at Nerd Initiative. So as the screen always says, make sure you drop that like, make sure you drop that subscribe, make sure that you are following Nerd Initiative YouTube because there is a lot of content on the way along with Turn a Page, along with Wrestling Night Live. Wrestling Night Live. Every Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Rich, myself, and some of the other members of the wrestling team are going to be on talking about the latest and greatest going on, especially this weekend. We're going to be talking about the sweatshirt that I'm wearing right now, and that's a little AEW because they have the full gear happening this Saturday, hopefully within four hours. Fingers crossed but I can shoot my shot. Um, we'll be talking about that sh- card this week and a whole lot more. So make sure you hit that like, make sure you hit that subscribe and we'll go from there. But in the meantime, remember when you're at the comic shops and you have a great issue in your hands and you see somebody struggling to find something, hand yours off to them, tell them to turn a page. We'll see you next week. Oh.